Welcome to episode 362 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. I think the listener who's been with us for some time knows we're in this like grand arc of going through all things theology. We have, or at least we had, a path in mind. And then sometimes you get into a topic and you find it is just worth setting yourself down here, sitting down, taking a break. I don't know. Maybe it's like we're climbing this mountain. Maybe that's like the analogical language, but there's like a false peak. You get to yourself, this point where you looked and you see to yourself, my word, look at this great vista. And somebody says to you, this isn't even at the top yet. And in some ways, that's where we've been all this summer. We can't even call it the summer in the Northern Hemisphere anymore because we're kind of getting into the autumn season. And we're talking still about private prayer, but this is the final episode, at least for now, on private prayer. We started with the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer that he gives to his disciples, all of us. And then we kind of positioned, we pivoted and said, let's look at how that prayer is exemplified even before the coming of our Lord to the earth in all the prayers that exist throughout the scriptures. And I think it's lovely that as we move into other topics, specifically eschatology, that we're going to end this portion of private prayer in Revelation 5, speaking about what it means that we pray now and we'll pray forever, both privately and corporately. So that's all to come. That was just like the straight, nerdy prolegomena. But it is, if somebody has been saying to themselves, and you shouldn't, but if you've been saying all along, would you guys stop talking about prayer? (laughs) That is that was like some some nervous and slightly awkward laugh. Yes. That is actually coming to a conclusion on this particular episode. There'll be new stuff, different stuff next time. Well, but for now, can't stop, won't stop. What's crazy, and I didn't even realize this, we've been doing this systematic theology sequence for like more than a hundred episodes now. Yeah. It's, it's a ton. Like our just this series going through systematic theology, which we kind of broadly called fundamentals, like yeah. is longer than most podcasts exist. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I'm not saying that to be like arrogant. We've just, there's so much to the Christian faith. And when you look at it systematically, this should give you an idea of how, how much work needs to be done to really understand what it is that God has taught throughout the whole corpus of scripture. Um, that's not to say like a shorter series isn't appropriate or possible, but we we there were many weeks where we're like we could keep going, but we just got to move on to the next topic. And I think prayer is kind of the same thing. Like you, we could do a whole podcast that's just talking about prayer, and and you know we didn't even we didn't even get into when we were we talked a little bit about doing this, but like we didn't even get into looking at some of the classic prayers from church history, like opening right. up the, the Valley of Vision or going to some of Augustine's prayers or Calvin's written prayers. Um, we didn't even do that. So there's so much more. We'll probably come back to, I'm sure we'll come back to the subject of private prayer and we'll probably come back to looking at faithful historic prayers, whether they're biblical or extra biblical prayers um, at some point in the future. But it is time, I think, to move on, which is sort of crazy. It is time to move on. It's a bit like, when you put together a recipe and you're bringing together like all these spices, the seasoning, and I'm thinking of like the slow cooker recipes, 
there is kind of an optimal mix, at least for that period in time. Right. And then you say it's all got to set together in the pot and really marinate. I think that's kind of what we're saying. It's not that we're saying that there couldn't be tweaks made and that we're going to come back to it, enjoy these recipes again. It just means for the time being, let it marinate, let it set. And that's exactly where we're at. But the one thing that we will never stop doing that will always be part is affirmations and denials. And I'll give you a heads up. I didn't tell you this ahead of time. I'm going to just go do two affirmations oh, this man. week. I'm turning the whole thing on its head because oh, I've only got affirmations. I know you have one of each. So why don't you start us off and I'll let you choose because you have diversity in your mix. You want to start with the denial or the affirmation? I'll start with the denial just, just for fun. We'll just, we'll just, just ramp up fun. to the positive this week. So um, this is a weird, a weird denial. Have you ever had an ultrasound of any kind before? <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't think so, actually. Yeah. I thought I had one in my heart, but now I think about that, I, I don't think it was. Uh, it was probably a kind of ultrasound, but not like what people normally think of, probably exactly. like an echocardiogram or something like yes. that, which uses ultrasound technology. Yes, but so, not the ultrasound we think of. What's really crazy, uh, most men will never experience like an ultrasound, right? The classic, like there's a wand and like they, they put gel on it and like like when a sonogram for like when a woman is pregnant. I had an ultrasound the other day. This isn't my denial. Uh, I had an ultrasound the other day and it's like the weirdest thing because they put the gel on and the gel is warm. Do you know they warm the gel up? It's like <laughs> a weird feeling. So my denial is this thing called a lipoma. Have you ever heard of a lipoma? I've heard of this. Yeah. So a lipoma is like a fatty tumor that develops usually in your neck and shoulders uh, when you get to be a man of a certain age, which apparently is is my age. So I noticed these two like uh, like lumps in my neck. I had like this really weird couple of weeks where I had like super bad neck spasms and they were they were totally uh, unmanageable, like debilitating neck spasms. I couldn't move my head. And then when they were done, I noticed these two lumps and I thought they were, I thought they were maybe just like muscle knots. So I just like, was like, oh, they'll work their way out. They'll work their way out. Well, like two years later, I finally decided like, ah, these are not working their way out. I should probably get them checked out. So, yep. I had these two lipomas in my neck and there's nothing you do about them. They're, they're totally benign. I mean, I think they probably right. will do some surveillance to make sure they don't grow or anything like that. But uh, I guess if I wanted to, they could do surgery. They just like scoop them out with like an ice cream scoop, I think. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Oh. Yeah, this is not an uncommon thing. Again, isn't it funny how, especially in the affirmations denial space, we tend to become the caricature of the thing that we always kind of talk about with great irony. And that is like a, that we're a top 50 healthcare podcast. We always end up in this space. But I have some friends, I think depending on their genetics, you can be particularly prone to develop those like all yeah. over the place. And it's just another strange facet of being human yeah. and maybe a facet of the fall, just that these things pop up in our bodies yeah. and they might be totally innocuous. But at the same time, if you have these kind of things, I think what we can say, knowing that we're not doctors, is you ought to have somebody take a look. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you've got a lump in your body that's not supposed to be there, have a doctor look at it. It doesn't matter where it is. doesn't matter what it feels like. Just have a doctor take a look at it. I mean, one of the things that's nice about knowing what it is now is I was, for a long time, I was, like, trying to work the muscle knot out. <laughs> like, I don't have to do that anymore because I was just just rolling a fatty tumor around in my neck. It's pretty oh. gross. Yeah. 
So yeah, that, that's a that's a particular way of describing that. It's true. It's a fatty tumor. <laughs> well, now that we've got that out of the way, well, let's let's bring this up a notch. Yeah, let's do it. So I've just got like double barreled affirmations because that's how the week unfolds. You and I were talking ahead of time how the maybe the hardest part, the most difficult part of the podcasting is the affirmation denials because yeah. like you're always kind of collecting them. Sometimes they fall away in your mind. And I also think early in the week, yes, I definitely want to talk about this. This is plainly obvious. And then I totally forget. Here's what I haven't forgotten. So my affirmation, what I'm affirming with is uh, the longtime listener has heard me talk again about music so many times before and specifically about a band called Wolves at the Gate. So this great uh, kind of hard Christian rock band has just put out another album. It's called Lost in Translation. But here's what's so strange about this album. It is a pure cover album. So these are just songs that they are literally covering. But I don't think I've ever heard an album that has such diversity. So their songs from Stone Temple Pilots, from Muse, from Billie Eilish on this album, from mm. Jimmy Eat World. This is their incredible recapitulation of all of this music. I presume that these songs are important to them. All of the songs are from art, these very well-known artists, but they're all like slightly off the center of the songs that are well-known by those artists. So go out and take a listen to this. You might find something on here that you know or that you appreciate. So there again are songs from Linkin Park and songs from 30 Seconds to Mars. These might be deep cuts in many ways for some people, but it's worth listening to. And I don't know what provoke them to put this out, but they only make good music and it's their own adaptations of these. It's like the perfect thing you want from a cover album. It's enough where you recognize it, but they've made it their own and they certainly put it within the scope of their own genre. So just go find um, Lost in Translation by Walls of the Gate. I think you won't be disappointed, but you know, I, I'm pretty much like 100% all of my band affirmations. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah. I mean... You recommend things that are not my style of music. So I, I, I more often than not, I do give a, at least a cursory look at the, um, the musical recommendations you make. And I can, I know enough about music and I can tell enough about music that I can tell that the music is good. It's right. just not music I like. So yeah, there's like a thousand Linkin Park puns that I'm trying to figure out what the best one is to use. <laughs> and I feel like I'm going to settle on something about in the end, it didn't even matter. So oh, just uh, keep an eye out for that somewhere good through song. the episode. Yeah, that's not incidentally. Again, so I figured that's if the they're off center like, songs, it wouldn't be exactly. Yeah. You got it. So there's like a lot of purpose in what they put together here, but I was like totally blown away by this. That yeah, the interpretation of some of this music is on point. It's very interesting. But my guess would be if you listen through this like from start to finish, I think there's like it's more than ten tracks on this. I don't know how many exactly that there's enough here that you would be like, you're going to go look up the actual music yeah. and you're going to find that it's like a really lovely interpretation of that. So that's like a good know. cover song, like a good cover band or a good cover album does that. Like it makes you want to go back to the original song. Yeah, it's true. And there's, there's a way in which like, if you're, so, you know, they have kind of, kind of a more hardcore flair. Right. There's a sense which you'd be like, okay, so I'm going to expect a certain way in which I interpret this. I don't even think they go there. They, they do it in their own way, but when when I came to the when I was older, which is like the Billie Eilish track, I was like, I was like, what is happening here? 
I actually had to look that one up myself because I was like, I think I vaguely, I listened to it and I was like, is this Billy Eilish track? Like the Billy Eilish track? And because like, I don't listen to Billy Eilish. It's not like I have no like qualms per se with Billy Eilish, but I was like, that's not my style normally. But this was like, I really got into it. And then suddenly I found myself like my Spotify is feeding me Billy Eilish. So yeah, it's just a fun thing. I have no idea why they did this. They make their own creative music in there. That's, you know, of course their own cr- new stuff. And it's brilliant. So I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I have to, I, I think I'm contractually obligated to recommend every Wolves of the Gate album, but this in particular was something new for me, just the diversity of it. So, and many of these songs I was familiar with and I was like, okay. When I like heard that, I was like, all right, <laughs> you guys go ahead and get some. So anyway, I'll leave it there. The question though for you is, what are you affirming with then? Because I've got another one coming, but what are you affirming? I mean, this is one that everybody can get behind. I don't know anybody in the world. Literally, I don't think there's a single person in the world that would not agree with me on this affirmation. That is how confident I am. I'm affirming, are you ready for it? Yes. Naps. Like they're just the best. So uh, for those listeners to the show who may be new, uh, I have an 18, almost 19 month old son. And one of the things that you don't you don't realize and they don't tell you about in like parenting classes and you don't really hear about them are these things called sleep regressions. Uh, Everybody kind of like everybody sort of maybe I shouldn't say everybody. This is the way I pictured childhood sleep. The first six months or maybe a year are really terrible. And like then the baby figures out how to sleep and then it's smooth sailing from there. That is not at all how it works. So I don't know, maybe there's like a theological pointing to the fall in this, but um, babies, you can teach them how to sleep. You can do sleep training. And we did. And Augie was just a sleeping champ. He was awesome. And then they have these things called sleep regressions where they just like forget how to sleep. They just forget how to sleep normally. And so Augie's in the middle of one of these sleep regressions. And so I had like three or four days in a row where he woke up at three in the morning and just would not go back to sleep, just wouldn't do it. Um... And, you know, I, I'm part of the sleep training is you got to teach them that they're not going to be able to get out of the crib just because they cry. So you check on them. You're careful. You're watching them on the monitor. You're not ignoring your child, but you're letting them work it out in the crib on their own. And you're showing them that crying is not going to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. That's how they learn. Like, well, the only option after, you know, at a certain point is to go back to sleep. He was just not having it, but I have to be awake for that. So yesterday, my wife is very gracious when I have a bad sleep night with the baby because um, she uh, she understands. She told me that I needed to take a nap uh, when the baby took a nap. And the na- baby took an amazing nap of like two and a half, three hours. So I took like a two and a half hour nap right in the middle of the day on a Saturday. And it was just chef's kiss. It was amazing. And I woke up feeling good. I woke up feeling happy. The baby woke up feeling happy. So, you know, there's something about a good nap in the middle of the day that is almost more refreshing than a good night's sleep. There's just something psychological about it. Like if you are able to like rest and take a good nap. Yeah. I don't know anyone that would say like, no, naps are terrible. Naps are really the worst. Uh, And if you do, just don't tell me about it. I'm really open to hearing uh, diverse thoughts and diverse opinions on things, but not this. Like, this and EFS, just the two things I don't want to, I don't want to entertain an argument for. So I'm affirming naps, take a nap. If you can take two naps, if you can, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm with you, especially when I think in this particular instance that you're describing, the nap is like restorative. It's needed. It's not just like, well, it's like a lazy Saturday and I want to close my eyes for a bit. It's that 
you need to be replenished in your rest. Yeah. And th- of course, they say you can't catch up on sleep. There is, though, at the same time, something to be said for when your body needs the sleep to grant it that rest. Yeah. Right. And you're right. Like, there's something lovely about like daytime sleeping where it's like constrained and controlled. It's not meant to like replace nighttime sleeping. You sleep for a shorter period of time and then you wake up because like your body actually needs like listening to your body. Again, somehow we are in the top 50 healthcare podcast. <laughs> again, it's all about health and well being and yes. wellness. And again, God created us as whole beings. So listen, we're going to talk about rest and I don't know. Would you say I almost feel like like six out of ten paths read to like this lead to this eschatological rest? It's true. And so whatever we talk about pragmatically, we're going to find ourselves coming back to Jesus as our rest, both physically and spiritually. Yeah, yeah. I don't. There's nothing more to add about that. If if you can take a nap, naps are great. Everybody loves naps. They're great. Yeah. This was like a super easy, no risk affirmation here. Just take a nap if you can. Well, there's like a derivative affirmation in that, which is like, especially if you're among your family, providing space and ability to gift a nap to somebody yeah. else. Mm-hmm. There's something lovely about that saying, take some rest, be away, go away, be replenished. All of that is super important. And if you give that to each other, all the more that you should as a gracious gift. Yeah. Jesse, what are you affirming again today? Yeah, I appreciate that. So double affirmation. So again, it's going to come back to music. I'm trying to get out ahead of this because I know we have a Telegram chat. Telegram is just a messenger app. It's a private app. Anybody can jump into it. And if you go to, is it telegram.me backslash reform brotherhood? T.me slash reform brotherhood. T.me. T.me. I don't know. Maybe telegram.me works. I don't know. It's possible. But why even exert that effort? We can just go to T.me backslash reform brotherhood. You'll find a bunch of listeners who are hanging out together and one thing that's come up in there is uh, something I've been listening to for a little while now. It's another musical affirmation. I'm affirming with an upcoming album that's about to be released, but with caution. And this is like maybe the way in which I somehow split the difference and I'm going to smuggle in a little bit like a 20% denial. I'm affirming with an upcoming album by a band called Silent Planet called Super Bloom. It's their fifth studio project. And the only way in which I'm saying that you ought to be careful about this is, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where there's been like a distinctly Christian band who doesn't love a Christian band that says like, we want to make sure that what we're putting forth is clean and is worshipful and is in a particular frame or rubric. This was that band, but their last album has some explicit language in it. And I really dislike when that happens. Yeah. And so I'm kind of affirming with this, I'm I'm presupposing that they're kind kind of come back to the way in which they started in which there won't be an explicit language, but uh, I'm going to free associate here for a second. And I'm going to pull in a bunch of things, amazing music an amazing band. And my mother's ears are going to perk up at this because I know she listens black eyes. So uh, here's how I'm going to bring all these things together. Silent planet is an amazing Christian band. They have a lot of worshipful music. Their new album is called super bloom. It will be released in November, but they put forth a lot of music already And part of the theme for this album is that I think it was two years ago as they were touring the United States, as they were traveling through the Midwest in the early like wee morning hours, they were driving in a van. One of the band members was driving that van and they hit a patch of black ice. The van flipped over. They were all in this really pretty epic accident. The lead singer had all kinds of complications from this, the least of which was, um, uh, having his head hits like very hard and going into like this concussion that he was diagnosed with. 
part of the album is in the theme of the aftermath of this particular accident of which like antimatter is one of those songs. So I'm affirming with at least kind of like on a provisional basis, this album, presuming that it doesn't get super weird in any way, but they've released several songs. Everybody should go listen to this. Even if you don't understand the music, it's just like, uh, the only way I can say this is if you listen to a particular musical group for a length of time, it's easy to get bored with it because they do the same things. This is not that way. They're continuing to push out and to explore like margins of their own sound. And so antimatter is a good ex- kind of a example of that particular way in which they're making the music that is the music that you love from them, but is very different. And that song in particular is all about this accident, which was predicated on, upon black ice. And I have to, of course, channel my mother, whom I love very deeply and very desperately, and say, if you're in a part of the country where there's ice, you have deep winters, you need to understand that black ice exists. It's called black because you can't see it. It's very dangerous. And so you need to pay attention to it. And this group experienced it, and then they wrote a song about it, and in theory, at least a whole concept album about it. So go check out Super Bloom or what's released so far, Super Bloom, on wherever you like to get music by silent planet so there you go two musical affirmations of a particular genre those who have ears let them hear so here's a question because i i found that this the answer to this question is different depending on what part of the country you live in or grew up in what is black ice Wait, is there like a standard definition of this? Well, that, that's the best. This is you just jumped to the punchline, Jesse. So what what do you what is your <laughs> definition of black ice? What is it? How does it form? Okay, that's a great question. So to me, uh black ice has always been the invisible ice. It's the invisible killer, it's, it's the invisible accent. It's the thing that you cannot see, but it is an actual freezing of water to extent. It's you know what a black ice is. It's the equivalent of like the ice you get in like a cocktail. It's the kind of like high-end, like fancy bougie ice that you, you see through. It's like the really high-quality ice that doesn't have like any of, it, of the like particles of the air that allows you to see it or perceive it with the naked eye. It's there, and it's still <laughs> ice getting so deep. It's still ice. But it's going to cause you to think that all is fine until you hit it, and then it causes the vehicle to have like the same response physically that any kind of ice would cause you to have. It's just that you cannot see it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this was one of those things the, we run into this from time to time that I find I have like a culture shock because I grew up in the Midwest, right? I grew up in Minneapolis, which yeah. is uh, in sort of central, central Minnesota. And when I moved out East, I started hearing the same phrases used to mean something different. So growing up, when I was learning to drive, black ice was when exhaust from vehicle pipes freezes to the ground. And so it's called black, not because not because it's thin and so it, it doesn't have color. So you see the road. It's black yeah. because it's frozen exhaust. And I, I don't know why we thought it was more slippery or why we thought that. I, I don't know where never heard that. where that came from. But that's that's what I grew up thinking black ice was. And so we associated black ice primarily with. Uh, like the commute because it was when there was heavy traffic and cars were sitting more or less idle, their exhaust would spray onto the ground and it would freeze you. to the ground. I when you. I got here, I started hearing people talk about black ice. And I'm like, how do you have black ice there? There's no traffic. And they're like, what are you talking about? You idiot. 
And I was like, well, it's from the exhaust pipes. They're like, no, it's just like a really thin layer of ice, you you dumb dumb. So it's funny because just while I was looking this up to make sure I'm not crazy, I looked up what is black ice. I think I looked up is black ice caused by car exhaust. And there's a radio station. I have no idea where this radio station is. WIBX. So it must be east of the Mississippi, which doesn't narrow it down too much. WIBX has a whole article where they took CNN to task because CNN said that black ice was caused when exhaust from cars freezes to the ground. Oh, wow. The physics of it is actually probably related, right? So black yeah, ice, sure. the, exactly. the exhaust pipe thing is, is the water vapor in your exhaust exactly. that is freezing to the ground. So it creates this thin layer of, of like this glaze of ice. And because it happens quickly and it's thin, it's super, super slick. So I just thought that was funny. That's interesting. It's one of those things where like this, so there's, there's when the same thing is referred to with different names, right? The difference like sneakers and tennis shoes. And then there's when the same phrase is used to describe different, different things or a different understanding of the same thing. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to over spiritualize this. Well, I'm not going to with respect to ice, but it's like when the Mormons show up at my door and they're like, yeah, we believe in Jesus. And I'm like, that's Lucifer's brother to you though. Right. And they're like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and you want to be like, yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Let me ask you a question though. Having been a person who has now lived in New England for some length of time, have you yourself ever experienced the black ice? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I experienced black ice in Minnesota too. It's, it's, it, it, it's terrifying because like, you don't know why your car is not yes. stopping. Right. Um, you learn very quickly that you need to just, you just drive like you're always on black ice is basically like when you, it's like a certain temperature range, like right at it's, it's not really when it's super, super cold because when it's super cold, you don't have liquid precipitation on the ground to form black ice. It's at that transition point usually. And this is partially probably why it's associated with the commute in Minnesota because when the cars are driving over it, the exhaust is actually heating up the road and the, the vehicles passing over the road is heating it up. So it does create this like like very thin layer of water or vapor on the ground. But yeah, it's it's pretty scary. And it, if you're not thinking about it, you're not careful. It's kind of like um, uh, water planing, which is a terrifying experience too. It's pretty like, uh, or hydroplaning is pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's its own thing. And I'm sure that it exists like all over the world. That's that's the way I was brought up to speak about it. And I think about that quite a bit during the winter. It's, it is a terrifying fact. There is, I don't know how you would even find this, but on the interwebs, YouTube in particular, there is a video out there of there's it's some urban environments and there's a reporter out during like this particularly virulent storm. And there's two relatively like young people, like maybe like oh the runners. Yes. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We're like, so there's somebody talking about this storm. And the streets are bare. They're empty because, of course, there's snow falling at like a great rate. Mm -hmm. And these two runners come by and the reporter interviews them. And the runners are kind of in some ways like boasting about like how this is like the perfect weather for running. And like the snow is so crunchy and it allows you to grip. And as they leave them and run by, like the woman (laughs) just like slips. And maybe everybody's had this experience. I think her feet just fall right out. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not like, like she stumbles. It, it's like no. a cartoon fall. Yes. That's like, and I think like her feet go straight up. Her tailbone comes straight down oh. 
and she falls and the reporter looks behind her over her shoulder and sees this take place. And like her response is just like straight visceral, like, Oh my goodness. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. And it's so painful. And that is black ice level. <laughs> well, that wasn't, yeah, that, I mean, that wasn't even black ice that there's, there's a whole sermon illustration in there about pride and, and caution. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of sermon illustrations in that video. Well, this is maybe like a sub affirmation. This is just the affirmation episode. Apparently um, there's a, like one of the funny things that I like to do when I'm just wanting to kill time is I look up like fail videos on YouTube. And there's a particular genre of fail videos that I particularly like. Uh, there's one that's instant regret or instant karma. They're very similar. Instant regret is like when someone is doing something somewhat foolish or risky and then then it comes back and gets them instant karma usually is like when somebody does something that deserves of like deserves a bad turn then it comes back and gets them like they're they're rude to somebody or you see a lot of like people will like burn their tires out off the like off the stoplight or they'll cut someone off in traffic and like the person that they cut off is a cop they get a ticket that's an instant karma one this was like an instant regret one and this this woman i mean I'm not involved in a running community, but I'm sure someone who's going to go on the news to talk about how great the running weather is and how perfect attraction is, is probably in a running community. I bet you that every year around the same time, her running community is like, remember when you were on the news? Remember when you fell on your butt? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I do remember that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think about that a lot. I mean, I she went out for a run and she got so far. And in the end, it didn't even matter. <laughs> I told you it was coming back around. Yeah, that was actually sooner than I anticipated. And actually, like, better inserted than I thought it was ever <laughs> going to be. I mean, as like, uh, maybe I can use this as my denial. There, there's been a time, at least, where, like, sledding, I think I bruised my tailbone. If you've ever bruised or broken your butt, I mean, you know, like, how painful that is. And you should just go try to find this clip of this fall. Because it is it is epic. And at least for myself, there's been a well, at least one time in like the last five years where incidentally, I was at my parents' house. I took out some recycling, which is in their back part of their yard. It was during it was in December and it was unseasonably warm. There was snow on the ground. It had melted just a little bit. And I thought in my own great confidence, I could go out to the recycling bin and easily place the things I wanted there. And what happened was, it wasn't exactly black ice, but it was the ice I couldn't see. And, I mean, generally we say black ice because it's on the road, right. and the road, the you know asphalt is black, and so there you can't see it's totally transparent. But in this case, here is my recollection of what happened. I was standing, and the next second I was on my butt. That's how quick everything happened. It did knock the wind out of me. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I remember this, because I remember we were like, where's Jesse? And you were like down at the bottom. So our, your, your father and mother's yard is very sloped. And I remember like you went out to do the garbage and then one second you were there. And then the next second you were like at the bottom of the hill and we were like, what in the world is Jesse yeah. sledding out there? Yeah. So, so I went out back. So is this kind of fall? So by God's grace, I wasn't seriously injured at all, but it's the kind of slipping that happens where I was standing and then I wasn't. Yeah. And it was enough where I had to take a second to just lay there, even while the water was sinking into my pants. I was like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're trying to I figure out if you're actually hurt or not. Exactly. Yeah. So 
anyway, be careful, black eyes. Listen to Silent Planets. They have a whole album and at least a song about black eyes. That's how serious it is. It's changed your lives dramatically. And again, many of you will not have that great opportunity to meet Heather Schwamm. But if, in fact, you ever do, she's 100% correct about black ice, and she'll give you that appropriate warning. And it is good life advice. So this has been brought to you by the top 50 healthcare podcast, Seraform Brotherhood, who is always concerned about not only your physical, but also your spiritual well-being. And so to that end, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 5, the conclusion of this great series on private prayer. So let's get into Revelation chapter 5 just at the proper context of everything that we want to talk about. Yeah. So it might feel a little bit weird to people for us to be going to a chapter that is mostly not prayer to talk about a biblical prayer. But the reason we wanted to read this whole chapter is because this really... The context of this, I know that there are some uh, MacArthur-style dispensationalists that listen to the show that are probably going to be pretty objecting to what I'm about to say here. We hear you. We hear you. We love you. We disagree with you. That's fine. Um, we love you. The context here is in Revelation, right? So, so this is a highly symbolic book. We know that the book is symbolic. We know that there are elements that are intended to give us a picture, and it's teaching theology, and it's teaching theology in a very specific kind of way. And one of the things that is important in this particular chapter to remember is that the main focus of this chapter, of chapter five, and really the whole first part of the book of Revelation, is to establish that the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, both in his incarnate state as the second Adam, and also just by nature as the second person of the Trinity, is worthy, right? That's that's like the whole refrain of the whole, really the whole book but this particular chapter really lands on it. And so his worthiness, we're going to see in this, his worthiness to open the scroll is directly connected to his worthiness to receive prayers. And more importantly than just receiving our prayers, to receive our prayers in an intercessory mediatorial fashion. So I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we'll, we'll backtrack and talk about the specific prayers. But I want you to listen for how how the worthiness of Christ is, is highlighted here and how it kind of plays into his role. So starting in verse one here, chapter five, verse one, then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and elders 
the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessings, honor, and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. So what I want to highlight in that first non kind of like narrative portion of the text, Christ is taking the seal from the father and opening the seal. He's opening this scroll. And now we, we immediately associate these, this scroll and the seals of the scroll with the judgments of verse six, which is is good and proper and, and fine. But there's a mediatorial element of this, right? There's this scroll and the scroll in many senses represents the salvation of God's people. Even though it also represents the judgment of God's enemies, it represents the salvation of God's people and it is the salvation of God's people. And so this, this imagery of the son or the lamb taking the scroll from the father, the father who's seated on the throne has the scroll and no one can open it except now the lamb can open it. That is establishing that this is about Christ and his mediatorial role. And so we have to understand that. And then this is now uh, associated with verse 8 and 9, where he talks about how these uh, these 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. They were holding their harps and golden bowls full of incense. And these golden bowls are the prayers of the saints. So the, the reason this is the culmination and sort of the conclusion of our prayer series, this is a picture not only of our prayer life now, Right. This is a. This was a book. This is where I think we're going to disagree with some of our dispensational brothers and sisters. This book was written to a group of people with the intention of bringing that group of people comfort. Right. So right. this teaching about prayer that's present in chapter five here is not. Um, I, I'm a futurist in terms of the book of Revelation. So I'm not. I'm not a full preterist, even though I am a, a preterist of a type. I'm not a full preterist, so I'm not going to say that everything that happens in the book of Revelation is entirely a past event. I think the book of Revelation is telling us things about what's going to happen in the final consummation of judgment and everything around there. But this teaching on prayer is useful for us just as much as it would be useful to talk about and think about what's going to happen when the final judgment comes. So the scroll being opened and the prayers being offered, this is a picture not just of the prayers of some future group of saints that exist on the, the end of time and the end of this age, but also of the way that our prayers are brought to the Father through the mediation of the Son, right? The, the golden incense, the golden bowls of incense that the elders are holding is this, it's this picture of an offering that's being brought to the Father. And now they're able to bring these offerings to the Father because of who the Lamb is and what he's done and the fact that he is worthy to open the seals. So we have to really understand that context in here if we're going to understand what the what the other prayers and praise language in this chapter has to teach us. And we've already moved beyond, like in the book of Revelation, all of the layers of the churches. So I'm with you. Like I would consider myself like a partial preterist with the fact that John, the Apostle John, is obviously giving 
instruction and insight to those that would have been like relevant at the time. Right. He's speaking to them that it has relevance to their lives now. And yet, just like all prophecy, there's like a telescoping aspect of it. There is stuff now and for the future. So I'm totally with you. I think we ought to like just expect that that's what we find here. Stuff that is relevant to those in the original audience and relevant to those who are beyond that audience, like us, who see that there's something that is for the future. So I'm with you. I think what's interesting about this is that we find that John is like emphasizing again that like, can we use some modern language? There is this file that has a passcode on it and we need somebody who has the credentials to be able to open up it. And so we'd say like, who is it that can get all this great information that we want that we know that is of like extreme value? Who has the authority and the credentials, the password as it were to open this up to us? And we find that it's Jesus and he has that right because of what who what he's done. So like we have various times of emphasized like the, the duality of worship in some sense of of emphasizing that we can worship Jesus, God the Father, both like we, we don't want to say like we only ought to worship him for what he has done for us, but even if he did nothing for us, who he is and his perfection, right. his character, the simplicity, the beauty, the majesty, that even if God did nothing for us, he's worthy of worship. At the same time, he has done great things for us. And so in that, we find this like duality, this complexity of worship. God, who he is, and even as he is, if he did nothing for us, worthy of worship. Then God, what he has done for us. And here we find it like exemplified in this prayer. That again, going back to the disciples' prayer, the Lord gives us that God has a hallowed, a holy name that he set apart. And in this set apartness, he acts in such a way because of who he is, that that also spurs us towards doxology. And here we find them like bringing together in this consummate harmony, God, who he is, and God, because of who he is, what he does for us. And then again, just to, to I, I would say respect God for like, he has authority. Like if you in your organization have access to privileged information because of who you are, because it's been granted to you, then you're worthy of some kind of respect. And here in this like cosmic, like eschatological sense, Jesus has access to all the things because like he has a special privilege before the father. But then in addition to that, he's also like earned a special right. Like he's performed in such a way that he also gets access to all the things. And so we worship him because of that. And then our prayer life, our expression of communication with him also reflects that thing. Here, all that comes together in Revelation 5. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we had a very brief kind of like pre-podcast meeting. It was all of like two and a half minutes long. It's, it's pretty typical. And one of the things that I think this chapter emphasizes that I want to make sure we conclude this series reflecting on is that prayer is not just a this life kind of a thing, right? For sure. Prayer is is something that will continue on with us into eternity, right? Into our glorified state, into the resurrection of our bodies. And I think sometimes we do think about prayer like, well, this is just what I do now. Like, I, right. I, I can't see God. I don't have, like, direct communion with him. Which, First of all, that's not true. But I don't experience, I don't have a subjective, direct experience of communion with God. And so prayer is what I have. Like, prayer is the... Prayer is like the middle ground. It's like the this is the lesser form that I have. This passage here, and I, I actually think this is probably part of why this is in this in this prayer here, is even the saints who are in heaven, they're not just having casual conversations with God. Like they're they're not just sitting down and chatting with him. 
Right. I think we we think about our relationship and our experience of our relationship with God on this side of eternity. We think about it in almost like distant terms. And so we have, a, there's a formality to it. And then I think probably because of a lot of like the influences of um, revivalism and, and kind of Billy Graham style evangelicalism, we think of our relationship on the other side of eternity. Like we're just going to be chumming around with Jesus and like, we're just going to hang, we're going to climb up on the father's lap. We're going to have like a, a parent saw like a child parent conversation with him. This passage here is, is pushing back against that. There's still a level of formality and a level of reverence and awe that is present right. in the saints, not just, not just the angelic hosts who have always had this interaction with God, but in the saints who are before the throne, the elders who are before the throne, like the elders in this represent the representative of all of God's people across all of, all of time. So when we see the elders here, we shouldn't be thinking, I know some, sometimes uh, some like, um, commentaries on on revelation will picture the elders like they're these special class of beings like there's some sort of angels or something like that i don't think we have to get that that sort of like speculative about it the elders there's 24 elders because it represents the 12 tribes of israel and the 12 disciples and those those two groups together represent all of god's people through all of time right, right. so the elders are are before the throne and they're the ones who are singing this new song. They're the ones who are praising the Lord in this formal structure matter, right? And then there's the elders, the angels, numbering thousands and thousands. So the angels are the ones saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing. And then the last part, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be blessing, honor and glory and might forever and ever. Right. There's a very similar prayer in the in the end of chapter four that we could look at. There's very similar prayers going forward in the book of Revelation. But the the point is, this kind of prayer is the norm in heaven. This is the normal right. model of prayer in heaven. This isn't a walking, you know, this isn't he meets me in the garden and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me his friend. Right. That's a very sweet sort of saccharine song. And there's a there's a place of people will not like me saying this. There's a place for that kind of sentimental hymnity, right? There's a place for that when we understand the the intention behind it. I think there's a place for that kind of song. But that's not the way that worship is pictured in heaven. Worship is pictured in heaven where there is still a, an, a reverence and there's a respecting of the creature creator distinction. Right. There's there's still a mediatedness to our worship. We are worshiping the Lord directly. We're worshiping God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit immediately, but we're also worshiping through the mediation of the Son. And I think this passage helps us to land on the fact that prayer, maybe let's put it this way. Let's maybe put it in a more challenging register. When we pray now, we have the opportunity to step into the heavenly life of the saints. Right. Our prayers now are not substantively different than our prayers will be in heaven. Right. We're, we're tainted with sin. So there are different elements to it. But just just like when we come into the Lord's presence on the Lord's day, and when we gather with the saints, that's a foretaste of heaven. That's a foretaste of the worship and the communion with the Father, Son and Spirit that we'll experience in heaven. Our private prayers are also a foretaste and a reflection of the 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 direct communion and fellowship that we will have through the right. son for the father, the son and the spirit that we will have 
in heaven. And so the right. challenging part of that is if, although subjectively in a different experience, if we can have that now, and we do have that now, that's, that's a, that's a fact. We have that now. Yeah, we'll stop. But if we can experience that and understand that that is our experience now, why aren't we doing it more? And I'm speaking to myself, right? We t- we've talked about this two minute prayer challenge. Honestly, I stopped asking about it because I've been failing miserably at it. So I, a little bit of like glimpse behind the veil is like my prayer life has not been as consistent as I want it to be. There's reasons for that. I'm not going to try to make excuses, but there's reasons for it. But why are we not more intentional and diligent to come into the Lord's presence in prayer when we know that it is this foretaste? It's this like preview, sneak peek. Right. Uh, if if you had, you know, you're a big Star Wars fan. I'm starting to become more of a Star Wars fan than a Marvel fan, but I'm a big Marvel fan. If I had the opportunity to go to like a pre-release sneak peek, actually, it's funny. I had I did go to a sneak peek uh, pre-release viewing of episode three when it came out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I like jumped on that opportunity, right? I had jumped on that opportunity because I had this chance to experience Star Wars episode three, which has a lot of hate, but I actually thought it was pretty good. Uh, I had this opportunity to experience Star Wars Episode Three before anyone else did, before it was common experience. I jumped at that. Why am I not jumping at the ability to have this sort of like pre-release viewing of the prayer that we'll experience yeah. in heaven? Why am I not doing that? The answer is mostly because I'm lazy. But but I think if we get that register in our mind, if we get that concept in our mind, it should drive us to our knees a little bit more. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like most of the book of Hebrews is essentially emphasizing what we find in in Revelation 5 here, which is this idea that it actually elevates the temporal space by way of understanding that you have been raised together with Christ, that you sit in heavenly places, that you've been given all the spiritual blessings, like the Ephesians, of Christ. And so because of that, you communicate with him directly. Like it's almost like Moses who is described as like having these conversations, like God spoke to him as with a friend that we get even more than that. And so it is, like you said, like a taste of what it means to be in the heavenly realms where we might communicate with God. But even there, there'll be a place for prayer. There'll be a place of communion with God in a deep, personal, profound way in which we can speak to him. And that he, by his graciousness through Christ, acquiesces and condescends so that we might have this very intimate relationship with him. That's like an amazing thing. It is a mystery. Like maybe all we can say is that try to lean into the fact that we don't understand all of which that encompasses, but that God has given it to us as a gift. Sometimes like it's hard to understand why we receive a gift because it's either like so generous or so thoughtful that we think to ourselves, why should I receive this thing? It seems like there's a great imbalance in life that results because of that gift. And yet we ought to appreciate that the fact that gift giving exists is to say that one party gets to give and to be generous toward another in a way that sometimes is beyond our understanding or beyond like reciprocity. That is what like, that is like the proclivity. It's the entire penchant of the one who is the gift giver. So I think we find that here. I'm totally with you. So it is to say this elevates our temporal realm of being able to have, well, let me say it this way. We understand what it means to be temporal, that there's like constraints around what it means to be human and that we're not fully like in the space of what it means to be in heaven and to have communion with God. That is like, we see like faith will become totally obsolete, that we can see him and that we can appreciate him. But it's like prayer predates all of that. Prayer is like the final state and prayer will never go away. 
It's going to be the thing that allows us to understand the intimacy with God when we see him face to face. And for now, while we cannot see him, while we apprehend him by faith and rather that by sight, that we still have prayer. Prayer is like the mechanism, the conduit, yeah. but it's like an amazing gift. And so I think your challenge is what you're saying is like, take advantage of that, like grab it fully, hold on to it, cling to it, embrace it, practice it, test God in this way. When he says you can come boldly into the throne room of grace because Christ has made a way for us to do that. That's all a prayer. And there's like a special aspect of that in private prayer. Because all the things that you're wrestling with, all the things that you want to know, all the wisdom that you wish you had, like James style, ask, ask, and do that in a way where it's like intensely private, intensely like privileged, because God has made a way for you to go, in fact, do that and come before him in a way that's like totally unencumbered. Like there's no hurdles anymore. And he's done that for you now, but that is a future state of all things. Like there'll be a time in which like sin is totally disavowed when the final enemy death has been like totally absolved. And so we'll not worry about those things. It's almost like we get a slight taste of that, like the amuse-bouche of that now. And prayer is that thing. It is just that thing. So to participate in prayer is to participate in the full life in communion and intimacy with God that we all desire in his completeness. But we'll have a portion of that now. And prayer is that portion right now. So Man, I'm with you. I mean, throughout this series, I've just been convicted that all of us want to pray better, want to pray more. But God also says, like, come as you are. Yeah. Come in this moment. Come and try the small things. And that's where, like, the two-minute prayer challenge exists. It's just set the timer, talk with God, and set yourself apart for this kind of experience where you're communing with Him, you're talking with Him, you're asking of Him, you're receiving from Him. All of this happens just in the space of saying, like, God, I want to want to communicate with you more. I want to want to have dedicated space in which I'm not distracted by all the things. And he says, yeah, this is what I intend for you in prayer. I've given you some instruction in the Lord's Prayer. I've given you examples of saints and processes throughout the scriptures. Come to me and see that I am good. And when you want to desire to reach out to me, that I will meet you exactly where you're at. Yeah. Then maybe just to sort of put a punctuation point on on what we're saying here. I, I think some people might be looking at um, Revelation 5 and be like, oh, that seems like a stretch that this is really a teaching on prayer. The whole seal judgment sequence, right? There's, there's these seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bowls. There's actually seven thunders that John's right. not allowed to tell us about. There's these sequence of seven things that unfold throughout uh, the book of Revelation. And verses, uh, chapter six and seven are the lamb opening up this scroll that is hand, that he takes from the hand of the father in uh, chapter five. And the beginning of chapter eight is when he finishes that process. And so he says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, the seventh is the final seal. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, one thing just to, to note about that, there's a very long standing understanding in Jewish theology. It goes all the way back to Joshua and the sun standing still, right? There's this long standing uh, thought in Jewish theology that the angels have to stand still. There has to be silence for a certain certain a certain kind of silence in heaven 
that at certain points in history, everything stops so that God can hear the prayers of his people clearly. So this silence in heaven is not just like, oh, everybody shut up for a while. It's it, everything stops so that, that God can hear the prayers of his people. So there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the angels who stand before God. The seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel stood and at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So the culmination of everything, right? There's lots of different ways to understand these these sequences of seven in, in Revelation, and I'm not going to get into all that. I don't know that it's that important, at least for this conversation. But the culmination of the seven seals starts with this talk of how there are is this lamb, and the, the lamb is worthy to open these prayers. And because the lamb is worthy to open the seals of this scroll, the, the elders fall down with their golden incenses, which have the golden censers, which have the prayers of the saints in them. They are the prayers of the saints. And then the culmination of the lamb opening up this scroll. Yes, there's all sorts of judgment that happens, but the culmination, the final thing that happens along with some other stuff. But one of the final things that happens when the lamb opens the seal is that the prayers of the saints ascend to the father, right? So there's this intimate relationship between the final judgment and the prayers of God's people being finally answered. But this whole sequence here is intimately tied up in the idea that God is among his people and that the lamb is bringing the prayers of his people to the father. Right. And so we have to really, that has to be the context we understand this in. That goes for people who have gone before us, who are now in heaven, who are praying, right? There's no distinction. He's not saying, well, this is the, the incense is the prayers of the people who are still on earth. The prayers of the people who haven't died yet. The incense is the prayers of all the saints, right? At the end of chapter five, we saw those that are on earth, that are in the earth, that are under the earth, that are in heaven, everyone, everything. That prayer is being brought by the, by the son to the father and to the father, the son and the spirit, but to the father representing the whole Godhead. That is what this is about. And so we, not only should this drive us to prayer, because we can have this foretaste of what, what our heavenly communion and fellowship will be. Prayer is, private prayer is the closest that we get to experiencing the direct kind of fellowship that we will have in heaven. Private prayer is the closest thing to that. Not, not that the character or the nature of our communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit changes when we get to heaven. The character and the nature of it doesn't, but the subjective experience of it does. Our understanding, the way that we understand and experience that changes when we're in God's presence immediately compared to now. Direct private prayer is the closest analog to the subjective experience that we will have in heaven. So that should drive us to prayer. But beyond that, the fact that the son, the, his culminating act, the thing that that the opening of the scrolls highlights his worthiness. He's the only one that's worthy to do it. That culminates in him bringing the prayers of his people to the father. That should not only drive us to prayer for all the reasons I just mentioned, but it should give us enough confidence to know that we can go to prayer. We have confidence because it is the son who brings our prayers to the father. It's not us. It's not our own merit. It's not our own goodness. It's not our own humility. It's not our own self-abessence. It's none of that. It's the son's work, 
the son's worthiness that brings our prayers to, to him. So I think that's as good of a, a way to end out this prayer series to just focus on the fact that even our own prayers, even our prayers are Jesus's work on our behalf. That is an amazing thought. Yeah, I totally agree with you. There's nothing more that can be said. Yeah, so let's just shut up already. <laughs> this has been like the definitive series on private prayer. It only took, was it 16 episodes? Yeah, that something like that. Yeah, this is episode 16. Incredible, right? And I think that's like the loveliness in many ways of the scripture of these topics is we start thinking one thing. We start thinking it'll take this many times of conversation to really cover this. And I think what we found is that we could go on. Like it could be really like the prayer pod and that would be sufficient and it would be amazing and it would be unending. I'm looking at you, Camden Busey. (laughs) It's true. Well, Jesse, I can confirm that you can now go to either telegram.me or t.me slash reform brotherhood. If you would like to join our telegram chat, which I would love it. If you would, there's a, there's a good group of Christian brothers and sisters in there who love the Lord, who are passionate about reformed theology, who like to ask and answer questions. Uh, There's a pretty active channel for prayer requests and for prayer needs. There's lots of, there's always lots of fun memes going around and we've said it before. This is one of, this is one of, if not the most charitable places I've ever experienced on the internet. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's the size, maybe that it's direct conversation. I don't know, but there just is not this kind of snark and venom that you see in a lot of places online. And that's just a breath of fresh air. Um, when you can go somewhere and you know, you're not going to have to deal with all of the nonsense, all of the, just the like backbiting and bitterness that you see in other places. Um, it just really is great. So we would love it if you would join us t.me slash reform brotherhood, or I guess we just discovered on accident telegram.me slash reform brotherhood also works just as well. And you can also, if you are one of those people who has fulfilled your commitment to your local church financially, and you have a little bit left over and you are interested in helping us do what we do, you can join us on our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash reform brotherhood. Um, There aren't a a ton of overhead bills. We do what we do. Uh, We've intentionally tried to keep it relatively uh, lean. We don't have like a a bunch of staff members and Jesse and I don't get paid or anything like that. But there are some expenses that need to be paid to keep the show running and to make sure that the files are accessible, that we have microphones that don't sound like garbage, uh, that we have laptops that work to do the recording, etc. So if that is something you would like to help us do, you'd like to help us uh, with those ongoing expenses, you can go to Reform Brotherhood. Uh, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com if you want. There's a link to the Patreon. But if you don't want to do that, you can just go to patreon.com slash reformbrotherhood. Uh, and we, you know, you can do a one-time gift. It's a little tricky to do a one-time gift. You just have to like put, sign up for a month and then cancel. Or you can put in a, a monthly recurring gift for any amount. And that really does help us to make sure that things can keep going. Right on. I love that you said something extent of like, we don't have like a lot of staff. Are there other staff that I'm not aware <laughs> there, of? No, there's no staff. Okay. It's just me and you. There's no staff. Okay. There's no staff. I just want to make sure like we had hired people behind the scenes that are doing no. something kind of things. No, I wish we could hire staff. I would love it if we could hire some staff. <laughs> if you want to be a staff member for the Reform Brotherhood and there's something you think you could do <laughs> that would be worth us paying you to do it, then please reach out to me. We pay nothing. We pay nothing, but we might pay something. I mean, we could pay something, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, Send your job application to info at reformbrother.com. It is true that 
there are so many people that give like just very small amounts. It keeps the lights on. It keeps everything going. And it makes sure that there's like no paywalls, no awkward ads, no disruptions in the podcast. That's something that you and I have been committed to from the beginning is this is a conversation between brothers talking about our good Lord, Jesus Christ, and making sure that what has been freely given is freely received by everybody. Thanks for those who contribute volitionally to make sure that that happens. We are so grateful. So come hang out. There's going to be new stuff next episode, right? We, we, we just found our first staff member. It's my son, August, if you're hearing him. Can you say hi? Hi. Yeah, good boy. <laughs> All right. Well, I wish I could get him to say the tagline, but I don't think he's ready for that. So, Jesse, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Bye.